podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone, Rival Recon here again on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. And well, 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 another weekend of Premier League football, another impressive win at Anfield, a fifth straight win in a row for the Reds. And thanks to the head of one Harry Kane, just like that, there appears to be a title race once again. On this week's pod, we'll attempt to keep it together as the Reds look ahead to all that they can do at present in the next game and the next chance to secure three points. So for Klopp's side, that opportunity comes again on Wednesday as Leeds arrive at Anfield a festive fixture rescheduled ahead of this weekend's Carabao Cup final. And joining me on the pod this week to share his insight into how Leeds' season has unfolded to date and what the future may hold for the club and one Marco Bielsa and whether he's at the helm as part of that future, we welcome back John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Welcome back, John. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's always good to have a chat with you before a game. Yeah, I remember actually when we were speaking about it, um, it was around Christmas, wasn't it? Uh, particularly hectic uh, sort of fixture schedule around the festive the festive period, shall we say. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember I was organising it a, a little bit beforehand, uh, both of us sort of questioning whether or not the game would happen. And then lo and behold, in the end, <laughs> we ended up getting sort of a a little bit more of a respite in between this game, of course, and as as always is the way, nicely fitted in amongst our schedules, uh, just as, as as is the way with some of these Premier League uh, rescheduled fixtures that have gone on this season. Uh, before I dive into this season, actually, and um, catch up with where, um, where Leeds have been since we last spoke, I actually wanted to um, ask you just a couple of questions, actually, um, some broader questions about your relationship with with the club, actually. So I, I just wanted to ask you, um, sort of, what your earliest memory was of of following Leeds, sort of how you came to follow the club, um, and then also, um, what your favourite memory of this particular fixture um, uh, has been. Well, yeah, it's um, it's a, a long time really since we have played each other with any regularity. So I think my very very earliest memory will be. Uh, a long time ago, but I'll, I'll stick. I'll, I'll kick off with the first uh, sure. question that you, you you said there, which is how did I get into Leeds? Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a funny one. I, my my parents are from Liverpool and Manchester, respectively, which is um, oh, not footballing towns. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> and so it seems a little bit odd that I would end up being a, a Leeds fan. Um, but my parents went to university in Bradford and, and met there, and uh, we I grew up in in the area and. Um, we used to we moved away fairly early on, but we, we used to go on holiday with fr- friends who were still living in the area every summer. And one summer, this would have been the summer of '94 because it was when the World Cup was on. We we got really into the World Cup, and that's the first sort of footballing memory that I have um, in '94 of that famous Brazil side and uh, the players like Dunga and Romario and Bebeto 
players like that, Janinho. Um, and we got well into the whole idea of the of the Brazilian football team. And mm. um, at the end of the holiday, they were like, well, you like football, obviously. And if you like football, then you have to be a Leeds fan. So um, <laughs> that was that was how I ended up being a, a Leeds fan. And um, yeah, I guess following on from that, Ben, the, the, I mean, that's in 94, 95, we signed Tony Yeboah. Um, and once we signed Yeboa, that was sort of me done. So <laughs> it would be remiss of me to say that my favourite memory of, of a Leeds-Liverpool fixture is anything other than the famous Yeboa yeah. volley. Um, so, yeah, man, I've managed to segue my two answers together quite well. It's almost like I'm doing podcasting on a regular basis. I, I, I honestly don't usually segue that beautifully. But, um, yeah, it, it's definitely that moment, the, the, the Yeboah volley which pings in over david james and mm. it goes in off the bar and was uh, on the highlights reel of match of the day for a long time yeah no as somebody who also does podcast on a regular basis um i can i'm full of appreciation for how well you segue <laughs> that because it, it really doesn't always happen even with the best laid of uh, plans and agendas uh no that's interesting yeah it's, it's funny that you you've got janinho and that brazil squad uh to blame for you know falling in love with football and then of course yeah um, there was only one choice according to your parents had to be Leeds if you like football then and uh, yeah Tony Yeboah made sure made sure of that and yeah that's definitely a goal I think a memory of this fixture that many Liverpool fans I'm sure remember as well uh, given the number of times that's been that's been replayed then I suppose um, and it feels remiss to, to jump all the way from that to to this season really um, but I think there's there's so much to talk about in terms of um, sort of leads since Bielsa joined and I know since we've had you on the pod you've given us loads of detail around sort of how he's you know transformed the club and sort of how he's he's managed to get some of these players that he's been working with quite some of them now for quite a quite a few years uh to play above themselves really um and to get leads into this position um obviously we talked about uh, before uh, a very eventful um game between the two sides earlier in the season that of course resulted in um, Harvey Elliott picking up an injury, unfortunately, on that day as well, and he uh, he missed large chunks of the season. But that was obviously after sort of the very uh, um, opening few games that he had, and uh, sort of proving to be an exciting talent. So good that he's managed to get back as well. And um, yeah, on the day, I thought it was a really combative game. To be honest, I thought it was um, a lot more intense than the scoreline actually suggests. I think, to be honest, in the end. But um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you if, if you're able to cast your mind back to that game, what you what you thought of that fixture um, and whether or not it turned out as you as you thought it would. Obviously, lots coloured by as well by the the red card and how that changed the game state. Yeah, it was it was a funny game. It, it was a game that stands out in my mind as being just very open. Yeah, um, yeah. from both teams, and I, I suppose that's that's kind of the way that that Leeds play. And the mm. whenever we play against an opposition, it's always interesting to see whether or not they deal with us by maybe being a little bit more reticent to go forward or maybe just playing in the way that they normally would play and then expecting the game to almost open out into quite a transitional affair. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was very much a, a transitional game. And um, I was actually at the game itself. I was in, in Elland Road and uh, it was... It was a funny one because I, I remember we, we created the first sort of big chance with a Rodrigo chance early on. And mm -hmm. um, I think when that sort of thing happens, it, it sort of sets the game up to be quite... Uh, a raucous affair in in Elland Road, but obviously, as you've mentioned, it was a little bit overshadowed by the injury to Harvey Elliott. And um, uh, yeah, I think, it, and it was a, a strange, strange situation in the stadium. Actually, 
um, for me because for, from where most of us were sitting, I mean, I was in the top tier, so I was a long way away from it. But to a lot of us, it just looked like a really good challenge. Um, and so I think that the, there's been maybe a little bit of reaction after it to to um, to suggest that maybe Leeds fans were cheering the the, the foul itself and, and the injury. But um, from where we were sat, it just looked like a really good challenge and, and we just expected the play to go on. And obviously, unfortunately for Harvey Elliott, it ended up being uh, quite a brutal injury to him and it's good to see him him coming back. So I think that really took not the edge off the game but it, it sort of it sort of made the game this particularly the second half i think uh just a little bit flat from, from where it was um so yeah it's it, it's the sort of game i think we, we've come to expect from leads against really good like top four sides um particularly i mean we've just played manchester united and it's a similar sort of affair mm-hmm. where it's a very open game and team both teams getting chances and um yeah on the day it usually ends up with Leeds not having the quality of player that allows them to win those um, sorts of games. So I, ex- I expect the game on Wednesday to be similar in that respect, really. Are you surprised? I mean, uh, we've spoken about sort of the nature of um, yeah, compromise in the past and sort of the, the, the numerous times people have sort of uh, often leveled some criticism at Bielsa around, well, you're not compromising. You know, this is ridiculous. Having these games where you have... you, you, you you suffer these heavy these heavy defeats because you're coming up against a side perhaps who's who's able to play play around the uh, sort of the full court press if you will um, or you know just a complete fixture pile up or injury pile up and then you know Leeds being the only team sort of forced to play play through that um, at times which I thought which was um, quite unfair actually at certain points this season um, yeah often it's been leveled at uh, Bielsa that uh, you know against those sides in the top six shall we say. Um, that maybe a different style would be the right one to employ um, to try and make those games a little less, um, you know, dependent on quality. Like you say, in the end, it often comes down to sort of the team that maybe has the better quality on the day. Do you think it's possible for um, Bielsa to do that with the current squad, or, or, or do you think that um, you know, you're behind this approach? And actually, most of the fans are behind this approach in terms of sort of not changing the way in which you play when you come up against sides in the in the top six. Yeah, it's it's a funny one because I think in the last few seasons, you well, particularly last season, you accept that you are going to play the, the way that you're going to play and that, yes, you'll get turned over by some of the bigger teams, but it doesn't matter because you're turning over the small teams, exactly. respectively. And that's just not happened this, this season. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. And it's, I suppose, raised a lot of questions in a lot of Leeds fans' minds about, sticking with Bielsa going forward. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my position on it is that I have no problem playing that sort of way if you're going to going to be um, churning the squad and, and bringing in, in re- new players on, on the regular. Yeah. Um, and we haven't done that. So we, we, we did very little business in the last two windows. Mm-hmm. And we have a, an injury crisis at the moment, which a lot of people claim is unlucky, but... Uh, I think is probably the result of the intense way that we've we've been playing and mm. sort of matched with the fact that we haven't been churning the squad as well. So, yeah, I, look, it's it's fun playing in that sort of exciting, chaotic style when things are going your way. But as soon as the, it, they aren't going your way, you can have games like the game we had against Manchester United yesterday, where I think a lot of fans will say, "Well, you know, we generated some chances and stuff, and we we didn't look too bad." 
but at the end of the match we, it ends up being 4-2 to them and you and you know it, it, you you kind of raise the question well what what does a drubbing look like if not you know 4-2 where we scored a lucky goal from a, a cross and and then sort of scored our one big chance of the game really um so i think there's there's frustration there in, amongst um a lot of leeds fans about the fact that the the style itself is just this season in particular being unsustainable uh, you don't have the highs to go along with the lows of, of some of the batterings. And, uh, yeah, I, I think a, a lot of that has just come down to a, a talent discrepancy, but also like poor management in, in terms of what the club have been doing. Hmm. You, you say what the club has been doing there. I mean, you mentioned that there are, you know, you think there's some sort of clear reasons as to sort of why Leeds haven't been able to uh, you know, play their way, but also pick up those points against the sides where, you know, you're hoping their approach would would sort of pay dividends. I suppose not in those clashes against teams in the top six, but you know where you're trying to pick up wins as as you did last season against the teams um in and around you. You mentioned a couple of reasons there: injury crisis. You mentioned the lack of investment. Are those are those some of the main reasons that you you would point to then as to sort of why Leeds haven't been as successful in those games against sides in and around them this season? I think there's also tactical elements there as well. Okay. I think when when we played last season there was a lot of teams that would be happy to sort of go up against us in a similar way um and when those games sort of open out and become transitional as we've said in this podcast mm. usually that's going to favor leads especially when they've got players like uh, Rafinha and Rodrigo who are both very good at exploiting space and, and space in behind um in different ways but yeah um definitely definitely dangerous players in their own rights um and i think this season what we've seen is that a lot of the there's been, a, I think, maybe a realization amongst opposition managers of how you should play against Leeds. And okay, the top, the top six have been happy to carry on allowing those games to be transitional because of the quality discrepancy. It's, it's always going to be in their favour. But I think a lot of the teams outside that have have played smart against us, and they've they've realised the sorts of things that cause us problems. So, for example, one of the things that one of the, the way that we play really has been we we try and build up from the back, we try and build up in wide areas and get the ball into dangerous areas, uh, and then we sort of counter press if if oppositions win it back, and then we try and go sort of fairly directly to goal. But I think a lot of teams have worked out that if you can press us um, in our build up phases in the wide areas we we just aren't able to get the ball into dangerous areas whatsoever and so uh, we played Everton and lost quite badly to them the other week and they they pressed us quite high they didn't allow us to get out of our own half and uh, and and we sort of lost all our teeth in in that in that moment and we've seen other teams do that so Southampton have done that as well um but there's been other teams so Brighton have have um just traditionally since we've if you can say traditionally being in the premier league for two seasons but they in in, in our premier league era since we've been in uh, under bielsa they've they've been, taken a little bit of a different approach which is just sort of clog up wide areas and not press high but press smart and and stop us from actually getting the ball forward and that can render us pretty toothless as well so i think that it's just that there's there's a lot more at stake i think managers are aware of what causes problems what doesn't and so um I, I do think there's a tactical element there as well and in terms of sort of picking out if you if you could then i, I suppose two games um from this season since we last spoke that you think sort of are good microcosms of, of the season and some of the issues that Leeds have encountered um 
whether it be some of those mm-hmm. those tactical issues being exposed in certain games where you you'd actually expect to maybe pick up points um and that could be whatever what whatever games you want to pick there mm-hmm. which one which ones would you pick and i suppose is there a game that you'd also point to and go well actually that's what it looks like when everything does work and yeah. maybe need more of that mm. well uh, that game i think would very much be the west ham game that we won which is when one of the few games that we've won against uh, a quote unquote bigger opposition and now now that was a game which was very much sort of did open out into a transitional game but the difference between that game and some of the other games that we've been playing is that everything that jack harrison touched turned to gold in that game um so he, he scored a hat trick we managed to keep ahead of west ham in 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 the game so it went one nil one one two one two two and then we we won three two in the end and i think what we were just we were by forcing west ham to to have to come back all the time it just sort of gave us a little bit more of a uh, of, of an openness in the opposition half um and 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 so just sort of played into our strengths a little bit but at the same time we still relied on just sort of really efficient finishing in that game uh, which hasn't been the case in in other games as well so i guess the 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 game that i think would the two games that stick out are the the southampton and everton game i think that that I've already mentioned precisely because I think most Leeds fans thought, oh, you know, we're just going to turn these two teams over. They're just not very good at all. Um, and you do go through some of these games against the big four or the big six, where, as I've said, like, because the, they are quite open against you, you do generate a few chances and you kind of think, well, you know, if you, if you extrapolate from this into a, a sort of lower t- table team, you just assume that we'll turn those teams over. But I think this season has been very much the case that teams that sit deep against us absorb pressure a little bit and then uh, can break as well, can can cause us problems. But I guess with Southampton and Everton, they both, I mean, it wasn't even that they were sitting deep. They both just sort of pressed high. They pressed man for man and caused us the sorts of problems that we have caused other teams in previous seasons. And uh, I think that they've been quite chastening results. The Everton result in particular yeah. um, was was one which I think, made Leeds because I think a lot of Leeds fans have just kind of been able to get a long way by saying well you know we've had injury issues all season um you can't really you can't really mitigate that you can't, can't really account for bad luck but it's got to a point now where um we've it's just gone on so long and that we've lost it against teams who regardless of you know and especially against Everton as well like the, the players that we're missing at Calvin Phillips and, and Pat Bamford obviously big players but it's only the two of them and the idea of having two injured players is not exactly wild uh, and you would still ex- I think the, the fan base was still expecting to cause Everton problems and it it was just a game where we just had no sniff really whatsoever uh, and I think that that did give the fan base sort of cause to pause and think maybe things aren't going as well as we we like to think they are yeah i think all the all the ingredients were there you'd like to think in terms of sort of that everton fixture um i i, I don't think it's a wise appointment uh, that everton have made to be honest and um as we've seen on many occasions it, it it would only have taken i think leeds going ahead in that game maybe and being a little bit more assertive perhaps in their performance um for that crowd to turn to be honest i think it's um their they're not necessarily as united at the moment uh, and perhaps not as sure of um, necessarily where Lampard's going to be taking them. So the fact that it ended up being, you know, on paper anyway, you know, fairly emphatic in the end, yeah, is uh, I'm sure it is a result that has um, has stung somewhat. And I'm, I'm just, in, in terms of the injury crisis, just to get that out of the way, because, because, I, because I think, uh, you know, you've, you've mentioned there that it's, it's been the, 
it's been the the reason that, that many fans have turned to throughout the season. And of course, I think that there, there's definitely a level of validity to that. You know, you, you should you should absolutely take it, take those into account. Who who have the key absences been? You mentioned two of them there, obviously, in some of the the more senior names in the squad. But um, where have Leeds been hardest hit, or has it been just really across the pitch? Yeah, I mean, the the, the roots of the problem with injury crisis has been the fact that Bielsa likes a small squad. And so the, the, the issues that have been caused have been caused by a few players being injured and then the solution to that being moving everyone around and fitting them into different positions on the field. And yeah, yeah, the two, the, 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 the names that are often sort of thrown out are, yeah, Calvin Phillips, Pat Bamford, uh, Liam Cooper, our captain has been out for a long time with a hamstring issue. Um, and yeah, you look, whenever you have lots of in, it's it's mainly been the, the the breadth of the injuries. We've just had a lot of injuries all the time, and it feels like you never get ahead because Leeds fans always say, "Well, you know, as soon as the all as soon as we get all of our players back, we'll be fine." And the issue has been that we've just never been close to getting all of our players back because we're playing players injured to cover for other players and and that obviously generates problems of its own and also you're not able to rotate players because you don't have the depth to do that and so it is very much a, a vicious circle in that respect but uh, i do think that some of the nature the nature of some of the injuries is is just telling so for example someone like calvin phillips who is a player who should have been rested over the summer and had an operation on his shoulder because he has a dodgy rotator cuff uh, ended up going to the Euros and playing that and then coming back and has just been awful this season um, for various reasons. And this season he's had that shoulder problem, he's had a hip problem, he's had a knee problem and he's had a ham- hamstring surgery, which he thought he was coming back from sooner rather than later, but then he had a setback on that as well. So he's just getting, and the same is true with Bamford. So Bamford injured, and I can't even remember his his injury history because it's been so complex, but um I think he's he injured his ankle, he's injured his uh, knees, injured his hamstring as well, and he's coming back now with a with some kind of foot problem that is causing him pain, so he can't put pressure on his foot, and he's expected to be out for the rest of the season. So there are a number of injuries out there where players are getting long term issues that are then causing other issues elsewhere, uh, and so it seems to me to be like slightly more insidious than just a sort of regular churn of injuries that you will get in the course of the season um, we're starting to see players just get these these sort of systemic problems which won't go away because they're then causing pressure on other parts of the body which is already overstressed uh, and and things are breaking down a little bit so um yeah i the the big issue has been that not i i think not necessarily that we've lost big players but we don't have the depth to be able to cope with that we've not we've 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 had bamford injured and we've not been able to cope with his absence, despite the fact that we've got like three players who feasibly should be able to play in those positions, right? Um, and so it, it's it's a bit of a complicated one insofar as, it, 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 yeah, as you say, you always feel unlucky when you have injuries because an injury isn't something that will will happen without something going wrong, but you do put yourself into a scenario whereby you can be more likely to get injuries and you can also put yourself in the scenario that you're less likely to be able to deal with injuries. And I think that's been the issue for us um, as much as, you know, being unlucky with injuries. Mm, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I think Bielsa, you know, he's, 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 he's a coach who ha- has had those 
um, those narratives associated with him, I think, or sometimes in a similar way that sort of Klopp had associated with him, I think, towards the end of his time at Dortmund. Oh, you're, oh, you're burning these players out. Your style is too intense. Um, you know, you, you rely on a small squad and what do you expect? You know, they are going to pick up these issues. And some of it has validity. Some, some of it doesn't always have validity. And I, I hear what you're saying there actually around, um, I think maybe some of the issues actually, um, there being some validity to that this season, just given some of the players you've had to go through in enormous shifts. Uh, in terms of where the blame lies there, I suppose, or, or the responsibility lies, if you, if you put it that way. We spoke before, I think, around Bielsa being quite selective mm-hmm. of the, the types of players he wants to mm-hmm. bring into the club. Um, it doesn't. It didn't sound like the club was necessarily unwilling to to back the manager there. I, I mean, given what he's what he's achieved at the club, you imagine that they are they are willing to back him. But do, do you think the responsibility lies more on the fact that he he is so selective about the kinds of players that he like he, he would like to work with that, that that's meant that the club has not you know reinforced the squad as they as they probably should have done. Yeah, I think. I mean, the, the blame has to be apportioned in in different areas, but mm-hmm. it does come come down to the fact that that we have a manager who seems to be quite specific, as you've said, about the sorts of players that he wants in. And Victor Orta, our director of football, is someone who's claimed to be following this sort of model, whereby he has lists of players for each position that we have, and the idea is mm-hmm. roughly that you you sort of work your way down the list in terms of. Um, a position to try and get the best player you can mm. out of those players during a window. Because I remember you and the team actually came up with a, a number of sort of different sort of lists of, 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 of potential yeah. players who you identified, you know, through mm-hmm. similar methods. You imagine, oh, this might fit. And yeah, yeah. yeah. They we, we tried to we tried to just create lists similar to what we thought Victor Walter might be doing. Yeah. Um, but the problem has been that under Bielsa, we've ne- for example, the last central midfielder we signed was Adam Forshaw um, in. Adam Forshaw arrived the January before Bielsa, so we're talking the the January of 2018. Wow! Um, so we haven't signed a central midfielder since then, and we've been linked with we've been linked with a few central midfield players at various times. So in the last window, we were linked with Brendan Aronson, who's at RB Salzburg, plays for the US men's national team, who's basically a pressing god, and and so the the obvious fit there is um, that that he would be able to come into our system and and, and work. Um, but the problem has been that we've wasted a lot of time in certain windows just going after a player and and making two or three bids and and just sort of drawing out the process and then ending up not getting anyone. Uh, and I think that's sort of contributed to the fact that we've not been able to churn. So you may remember with with Ben White. I mean, Ben White is an interesting one because we I think we made about three offers on Ben White the season after we'd had him on loan to try and get him from Brighton, and they pushed the price right up. Um, and in the end, like because it was a summer and we tried to get him right at the beginning of the summer because we'd had him for the for the season we finally gave up and then moved on to uh, Robin Koch who we then did sign mm-hmm. um but we're we're seeing that sort of thing happening quite a lot without that list then being or feeling like there is like a t- hierarchy of players that we then move down so you, it feels as though we chase a certain player we don't get them and rather than moving on to the next player we just sort of start the whole charade all over again um so yeah, I, I I think that's that's on Bielsa being picky, uh, but at the same time I do think that the, the the structure of the club we have this tripartite structure where we have the director of football, the, the CEO, um, and the and the head coach, and the idea is supposed to be that the you know the CEO is in charge of all the financial side of things, the director of football is in charge of like the the running of the club and the squad, 
uh, keeping the squad in in a sort of position that that is healthy, and the head coach's job is to coach the the team and and coach that squad and and get them playing the best they can on the on the field, and um and so I think there's a, a sense in which uh, you know the the director of football is to blame as well. I think what's happening now, I expect Bielsa to leave in the summer now because I think the club have finally realised that it's just not feasible to carry on operating in the way that they are within that structure and having a manager like Bielsa. And so, um, yeah, the first season really where things have gone off the rails a little bit, I think they're just sort of treating it as, an, as a, a, a chance to sort of reset things and, and, and start again. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the, the club should have maybe pushed things a little bit further earlier on. I think this window, um, sorry, the summer window last summer should have been a time when we brought in more players and we didn't. And I think we'll suffer for that for a few for a few years just because we took a chance. We were we were finished we finished in the mid table, and we didn't really bring in players to sort of reflect that um, and and strengthen the squad and bolster the squad. And now we're we're into a sort of relegation cycle, which I think if we kept Bielsa would probably continue next season as well. So um, I think the club will probably mm-hmm. cut their losses and and say okay, we got it wrong, but we'll we'll bring in a new manager and hopefully. Um, be able to salvage things somewhat, but there is a level of frustration amongst some of us that, that the club really sort of had a had a great chance to actually cement themselves in a the mid table, and it, it sort of got away from them a bit. Yeah, no, I know what you mean in terms of sort of just you know just maximising what you could do whilst Bielsa mm. is at the club. Um, you know, yes, he's got very particular ways, but you know, giving him the best possible sort of tools to do the job would have been would have been a lot more satisfying, I can imagine. Um, uh, just two points. I think we'll have to go on to discuss Bielsa then and what kind of manager the club would be looking to to bring in if Bielsa does depart. Um, but in terms of sort of other recruits, I mean, it, when when you look at the the, the squad at present and you know, what it's gone through this season, but also sort of where those obvious areas exist where it'd be it'd make sense to bolster the squad you mentioned the pressing god that you want to bring in, in midfield um which i've heard that phrase before certainly when it's come to <laughs> liverpool recruitment uh yeah. where, where would be those sort of really obvious areas um that you think that um regardless who, of who comes in or even if bielsa did stay uh this leads just have to strengthen if they're going to be able to um uh find a more stable approach mm. Yeah, it's a good question. It's, it's hard to answer without knowing who's coming in. Um, so, for example, a name that's been mentioned a bit is Jesse Marsh, who was at RB Leipzig oh, this season, yes. who who sort of crashed and burned at Leipzig. But he was another manager who was gone through the Red Bull system. So he was at New York Red Bulls. He was at RB Salzburg as well, and is relatively well thought of. But and so he's the one that the leaks have been suggesting is the, the number one candidate for Leeds. He's currently out of a job, and it, a lot of the, the the news surrounding this whole um, Bielsa, um, whatever it is, scandal has has been suggesting that the, the club are trying to move things on so that they can get him in in the summer. Um, he's without a job, so it would be a, a really easy um, move to sort of engineer. Um, but it's not quite so simple as just bringing in someone who's gone through his career playing a pressing style because, um, for example, Jesse Marsh plays a, a sort of classic German Gagan press. Um, he, he likes to have a ball oriented press in, 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 and, and the idea of that is that when the balls, you, you sort of get the ball forward, you attack directly. If you don't score, you counter press the ball. Um, you get as many players around the ball as you can. You'll have seen it early Klopp, no doubt. Um, mm. uh, and then you attack directly from there. Whereas with Leeds, we've, we've got this team who, yes, they do press high. Uh, but the idea generally has been to sort of 
press high to regain possession of the ball so that you can build it up and build it through wide areas and generate chances in that way. So our squad is very much designed around players being able to do build up in wide areas versus Jesse Marsh, who's very much designed around winning the ball back in central areas and being direct through the middle. Um, and so there's, there's sort of, there are sort of quest, still questions about like what do you do with your squad if it's even though you've got a pressing uh, a couple of pressing managers in succession, it's not necessarily the case that it's it's dead easy to just sort of say well if they press they press and and everything will be fine. Mm. Um, there are there are um, alternative considerations that have to be taken into account. So I, I, I do think that the yeah a lot of it will depend on who they get in next. There, there aren't a huge amount of managers out there who are going to be playing a really just aggressive uh, off-ball system. There's certainly going to be no one brought in, I don't think, who plays an aggressive pressing man-marking system. Off I was going to say. And so, and so you are in a situation where, where there will be questions raised about like where the squad needs to be strengthened or not. Um, uh, there are certain areas. Um, we've talked about central midfield. We need to bring in central midfielders. We don't have any. Um we, we yeah very play? often there's just not <laughs> just, there's just not much there is there <laughs> yeah and look a lot of that's tactical and like, yeah yeah I, I think Leeds fans get frustrated because oppositions can just waltz through the middle of us and you, you've watched Liverpool enough to know that the way that Liverpool play like there have been problems in terms of defensive transitions at times on oh yeah top. when it doesn't work it looks awful. yeah exactly <laughs> it, it, and and that's that means that you're just not controlling the ball well in the in in, in the advanced areas, right? And, and the same is true for Leeds. The problem is, is we can't control the ball in advanced areas as well as we used to be, and so we're constantly seeing defensive transitions through the middle. Um, and and so the solution to that, yes, a lot of people think, well, if we just had midfielders, that would be a solution. But for me, the solution is that you have better technical players who can hold the ball up in in advanced areas, and then suddenly you're not facing huge amounts of defensive transitions and, and looking open all the time. But um, the, this is not the way that, that Bielsa play and it's, it plays, and it's not the way that um, I think that, that the next manager the Leeds bring in will, will, will be playing. So it is going to be very much about uh, aggressive pressing. And, and, and so, um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun... I think we probably need to bring in like three or four players just from the off i think when you bring in a new manager as well they're going to want a bigger squad anyway so you're already going to have to be bringing in some players and then we've got we've just got such an aging squad in many respects we've got players like luke ailing and Stuart dallas and liam cooper and Mateus click all who've been there with us since 2018 and have been playing pretty much every game that they're fit in, in that time and their bodies are just broken now so even if even if you're happy to play a similar style of play you're going to have to re- replace those players um, just so that you've got players who are fit enough to play at the highest level so there's a lot of work to be done for sure yeah so I just in my in my in my head there I just uh, was just thinking of the, of the numerous times I've heard people talk about oh you know James Miller should go back to Leeds end of his career I'm just thinking about the pain of James Miller trying to trying to integrate himself into any sort of pressing <laughs> system uh, at this stage in his career. And I think I, I, I don't think he actually plans to do that at, at, at this stage, but um, he'll probably move into coaching. But yeah, I was, I was just thinking <laughs> about the pain of uh, of watching him try to do it. The mind wants, but the body won't The body won't allow him to. And I was looking at some of the, you we were talking about recruits and you know, Bielsa is a, a selective manager in terms of sort of who he, the players he likes to work with, and you mentioned some of the older heads in the squad there. I was looking at the, the players who who had come in, obviously. Daniel James, after a, a fairly long pursuit, age 23. Junior Furpo, of course, 24 years old. Jack Harrison, 24 years old. Um, even Clayson, the 
uh, goalkeeper um, who, who's come in age 20 as well. Those are the right sort of age profiles, if you will, to a, a very basic level of analysis. Um, but h- how have those players done into the sort of the, the, the names you're expecting to see more of? Obviously, um, James being a high profile one along with Junior Furpo based upon sort of where they've come from. But, uh, um, I, 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 if I'm not wrong, I think you were a little bit dubious on the James links, and I, I just wanted to, to hear your opinion on on how you think those those three players have done. Obviously, Jack Harrison will always have his uh, his uh, his night in the in the glory books because of that West Ham performance. But yeah, I wanted to ask you how you think they've um how they've done, how they've integrated into the side. Yeah, it's hard to say really, um, given that I mean there the, there there are issues with all of them, all three of them. So. Mm. Um, Christopher Klassen, the goalkeeper you mentioned, yes. has been playing for under-23s, and he's just way off the level. Really? Um, okay. The issue with that is that he is our backup goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if Melier gets injured, we would be playing a, a, a keeper who's just way off off the, the level that is expected at, uh, for, for a Premier League goalkeeper. So we'll definitely be bringing in a backup goalkeeper, I think, in, in the summer. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an example of yeah. them trying to do smart recruitment by going into the Norwegian league and picking up a guy who is playing f- um, for, for Varanga, I think, regularly. Um, and him just coming over here and not being good enough in terms of his distribution. There's certain things that he is good at, good at, but the, he's not. He's just not acceptable at the level mm. that, we're, that we're, we're talking about. It's like a West Ham Roberto issue. Yeah, mm. yeah, no, exactly. And and then we've got Junior Firpo, you mentioned, who is a player who has played well for Batiste in a wing-back system. Um, under Kike Setien and was brought to Barcelona with Kike Setien during his time at Barcelona. Um, he sort of played a little bit one season, didn't play much the next season and didn't play really for a couple of seasons at all for, for a number of reasons and uh, has regular injury issues. And lo and behold, under us, he has had regular injury issues. You wouldn't think, would you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he also looks like he would play better in a wing-back system than he would in a in a fullback system. Hmm. Um, sometimes we do play wing backs, but it's just not regular enough. And, and our system is always dependent on the opposition structure. So you can't really decide to play wing backs. You just sort of play because of we have a man marking yeah. system. You sort of play where you, where you have to play. Um, so he was another one who I think they were trying to do smart, smart recruitment because they were like, Oh look, here's a player who's sort of languishing in Barcelona. We can bring him in and maybe sort of uh, redeem him in some way. Uh, and, yeah, the I think the the jury's still out on him. I think a lot of Leeds fans are quite tolerant of him because he's new and we haven't seen much of him. But I think he has huge issues in in particularly in defensive situations. He he doesn't play the man marking system particularly well. He's very he's very very good going forward. So we get a lot of upside from him going forward. But um, we are then left open. I mean, for example, the third goal yesterday was. He, he lost the ball and um, just wasn't able to track back and Manchester United scored from it. So, um, yeah, it's that's another sort of one which is a bit iffy. They've tried to get value through a risky signing and it's maybe not played off. Dan James, Dan James, we just massively overpaid for. Um, he, he's, he's, I think, a similar-ish profile to Jack Harrison in that, um, you know, you'll get his upside in some games. We've had a couple of games where he's been given space. And he's been okay. His ball carrying's okay, but 
we're talking about a player who is one of the quickest players in the Premier League and he's not able to dribble past people. His dribble numbers are, are pretty poor. So um, he's not a particularly creative player. He's not a particularly technically gifted player. And so you're sort of using him as a, as a winger to get in behind and, and hopefully lay people in. And I just don't think he does it with, with enough regularity. It's certainly not enough regularity for uh, a player who is being... Um, have, having £25 million spent on him. So it's it's a, t- it's a tricky one. I think part of the problem, to go back to what we were talking about before, uh, with Bielsa having this sort of one-track mind with players is that opposition clubs can then recognise the player that he wants to get and just bump the value up because they know that Leeds won't move elsewhere. Um, and so I do feel as though we, we ended up overpaying for, for Dan James off the basis of that. And uh, again, Dan James is sort of maybe for me totemic for this, what I was talking about before, that in certain games where he's given space, he'll look OK. But those are the games where we're we're losing 4-2 anyway. Um, and then when it comes to the games where we're needing to win to get points to stay up, he's just not generative enough of, of, of any sort of production that that we don't get any upside from him there as well. So he's he's a bit of a frustration for me, really. Mm. And in terms of players who are sort of usually more generative in terms of, sort of their output, uh, one very obvious name, of course, is is Rafinha. Um, and that's been the case since his, since his time at the club, really. Although he's gone through sort of a slightly quieter patch of late. Um, and, you know, there's lots of links with him away from the club and you, you do wonder what will happen this summer as well or, or whether he'll remain as part of the rebuild you do imagine that there'll be sort of suitors coming in for him but I just wanted to ask you around the players who have who have been dependable this season the ones who have um, sort of been high points when you look at them in terms of one just it's always fun to watch very talented players play football even if it doesn't necessarily lead to three points at the end of the day it's just it's 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 it's, it's fun to watch players like Rafinha play football um, but th- those as well who've, who, who've managed to stand up and actually help Help leads um, accrue the points that they have, they have gained as well. Who who have been the high points this season? Yeah, it's so with with Leeds. The way I think about it is always that we we sort of eschew technical quality for physical quality. Mm. Uh, and the downside of that is that a lot of our players you don't watch and enjoy pl- them playing because a lot of what they're doing is is sort of putting in a lot of effort to press and to to carry the ball and and, and we're not seeing like a huge amount of like. The, the sort of things that Liverpool play fancy on a regular basis, right? Which is just elite footballing actions that you, no one else in the world is able to do. Um, yeah, and the so Thiago result, stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thiago <laughs> or Mohamed Salah. Of course, and, yeah. You know, the, 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 the things that you sit, you watch them and you're like, that's just, it's not great football on the, on the, the level of tactics, but it's just in, incredible on ball athleticism and ability and just smarts to be able to do the things that no one else in the world can do and you just sit there and you enjoy that as, a, as just an aesthetic end in itself and um, whereas for us like the, the 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 aesthetic comes from players running around a lot and tackling a lot and and you know putting a lot of effort in and you can you can en- enjoy that style of play i think and a lot of our fans do and they love like showing us graphs of how many sprints we have compared to everyone else. But in terms of the football itself, a lot of the times it's just not particularly attractive stuff. So it's been the the closest we have, I think, to sort of attractive technical football, uh, the stuff that Rodrigo does, um, because he's a, obviously an elite technical player. Um, but the problem with Rodrigo is that he's not physical enough so that, he, that our press breaks down a little bit at times when we have him playing. Uh, and then we have Adam Forshaw as well, who 
is just a, a sort of press resistant midfielder who's able to pick the ball up and, and sort of slow the tempo a little bit and retain possession and and, and help us uh, progress the ball. Um, so it's it's a tricky one to say. Like even even when you talk about Rafinha, like Rafinha is just a very direct player, and 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 when he looks good, it's when he sort of bursts past someone in the wide areas, um, and and just he's just sort of wiry and he's able to get around them. And it's it's been fun watching him. But even this season, like I think because the team have struggled so much. I think he's he's sort of um, hero balled things a little bit too much, and there's been times when he's just sort of either he gets marked out of games by oppositions who will just double up on him, or he'll try to do too much, and um, it, it, it it sort of starts feeling a little bit too um, a little bit too overworked. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's not been <laughs> part of the problem I think for a lot of Leeds fans this season is it's just not been a very fun season for from the aesthetic side of things. And like we were saying before, last season was fun because we were scoring these other goals that were nice, well worked goals. Whereas this season it feels like all of our goals are just sort of being generated by us turning the ball over in the middle of the field and just being able to counter attack and and get the ball forward into a wide area and then the ball across the box and that's it. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a tough season for, <laughs> for aesthetics. Um, in that respect yeah it's, it's it's a weird one we talk about players and appreciating their technical ability as well as sort of their ability to run 14 15 kilometers mm, uh, a yeah. game which is which suddenly became it's a figure you enjoy in the moment right like a, a person <laughs> running 14 kilometers in a game right whereas yeah. Mohamed salah being able to pick the ball up and and just jinx through about three or four players and then put it around the keeper like that's something that mm. i can watch as a neutral and enjoy it so it must be incredible to watch that as a fan yeah, it's it's an interesting comparison in terms of I think that um, I think one of the prerequisites for being in this Liverpool side or certainly being in the midfield at times is is, is that ability to come off the pitch having run mm, yeah true. fourteen to fifteen kilometers or or whatever it might be, um, but the very often the technical aspects of these players is. They're not overly appreciated, shall you say? Um, although it's, with some of them, it's just so hard to ignore. And Thiago being sort of, I think, the easy, yeah. easiest example there um, of somebody who maybe if you didn't know a lot about him, you, you, you'd think, well, is he necessarily going to fit into this type of system? And of course, there are plenty who said that he what was it. He's, 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 he's slowing Liverpool's play down. He, he can't adapt to it, etc. And of course, yeah, the, the, the rare occasions where. Your players are just so good that it doesn't really matter necessarily. But actually, I think he's probably a better, uh, more mobile player than people give him credit for. But the point I was getting to was it's, <laughs> it's only when you see these players outside of these systems at times that you actually realize, oh, they're, they're brilliant technical players. And that was certainly the case when I was watching AFCON um, over the past few weeks that um, you see some of these players and, and sometimes the 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 gap in quality from some of the stars that you know from, from the rest of their team is so gigantic that uh, you realize oh yeah forget Naby Keita does <laughs> did do more than just uh, sort of the role that he's been doing here or Ginny Wijnaldum for example who's not necessarily having the greatest time at PSG but you know there are moments at Liverpool where you go oh right yeah you're not just blocking off channels and uh, always fit you're also this incredibly talented Dutch player <laughs> Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not a lot of people who enjoy watching Jordan Henderson play. And the, and the issue with Leeds, I think, is mm. that we have a team full of a lot of Jordan Henderson. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it, it, those, <laughs> I those, those I, are I, fighting I don't words. I like, have a race to the bottom here to be like, <laughs> no, my team, my team are less technically enjoyable to watch than yours. But um, yeah. uh, I, I, like for me, that's that's a big part of it. Like the the 
Of course. I, I, there's no space in our system really for those technical players. And, and that's been the sort of the big problem with Rodrigo is that he's a supremely technical player, easily the best technical player we have. And yet he doesn't really fit in our system. Um, and so the big question, I think for me anyway, is like, where do you, like, where do you start getting your enjoyment from once you get past the fact that, as you've said, like our players were on 14k a game? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I should probably only say so much on the Jordan Henderson issue because this is a, 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 a Liverpool audience, and uh, yeah, he's he's a very polarizing figure. It's, it, it, <laughs> he's, he's interesting. It's just that he, I mean, I just, he's he's had a very poor season um, by his standards. Um, whether it's fitness, whether it's form, whatever it is, I think whether it's being caught between two stalls as as Trent becomes more and more influential. Um, yeah, it's 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 been a strange one. But he he is one of these players who I think you can you can watch and go, oh, well, you're you're nowhere near as technically gifted as as. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the majority of the players who are around you, but he's always had the the 14k or the 15k to to fall back on. It doesn't look like that's there anymore, and so that's that, yeah, that's when it becomes a bit trickier. But yeah, he he he, he surprises you every now and then. And, and <laughs> he I did think, do that wonderful through ball the other day. But and yeah. I'm not I'm not intending to suggest that that Jordan Henderson isn't an enjoyable player in any way. I, I just think that it's a lot easier to enjoy the the technical oh, aesthetic yeah. than it yeah. is for the physical one. And like the physical one is mainly what all we get as a Leeds fan. <laughs> yeah. So it very quickly becomes vanilla for me. Whereas I would just love to be able to watch someone who. Mm who is just sort of really technically supremely gifted and, and you can just sort of, you can enjoy them as a microcosm in themselves, right? Without having to yeah. necessarily fit them within the team context for, for or, or to have to look at a graph showing how many sprints they've done. Um, it was actually the 90. hill I died on, I think, when, when it came to uh, to fill uh, Coutinho's time at the club just before he left. Um, and he's just a, a complete output monster by the time mm. he was leaving. Mm. Uh, but... Uh, lots, lots of people didn't seem to enjoy it as much as I was enjoying it in terms of uh, <laughs> obviously, yeah, he, he ends up leaving and the money's spent incredibly well. Uh, but, um, I just, I just very much enjoyed watching him, um, play futsal, uh, in, in yeah. the Premier League. And it, it's good to see him back and trying to do that as well with Villa. But, um, to, to move it on then, Tez, we talked about technical players and, you know, when will you get to enjoy them? It's, it's, it's like, maybe it's likely that it's going to come when there's a new manager. Whoever that uh, might be, it sounds as though you're you're pretty resigned to the fact that um, Bielsa will probably leave this summer. How do you how do you feel the fan base uh, um, feel about it? And I know you've spoken in, in the past about that you, you don't necessarily always agree with the predominant sort of um, school of thought amongst the the Leeds fan base. But I mean, do you get this, the sense that, that there is sort of this resignation that oh yeah he's probably going to um, you know, part ways this summer? I think it's becoming less controversial as time has gone on this season. Right. Um, which is probably helped by the fact that we just are looking like we are going to be in a relegation battle, um, even if we are going to be one of the favourites to survive that. Um, and I think for most fans, that's pretty much what it comes down to. And uh, there's a weird sort of smugness about some of the fan base in terms of like games like yesterday where people will say, well, I'd rather we lost that way than just lost by sitting deep and, and losing anyway. Um, but the problem is, is that we're losing that way in every game at the moment. And there's only so many times you can watch your defense just get carved open before you just you start getting fed up of it. So I, I think that it will be, even when he goes, obviously it will be controversial and it will be sad. And, and he's obviously been the manager to bring us back to the Premier League. And we would still be in the Premier League were it not for, uh, in the Championship, sorry, if it were not for him. Um, so there, there is that side of things. But it's been four seasons now and, you know, four seasons is a long time in 
in modern football. And um, I think there's a lot of people realizing that his upside has an equal and opposite downside. And you've got to get the balance right between getting the most out of the upside without the, the downside becoming more and more influential. And I think that probably that tipping point was probably hit in the summer. Um, and so I think at this point now we're sort of eating into any goodwill and uh, and and the, the the net positive is is will slowly erode away into becoming a net negative if we're not careful. So I think right. the, with, yeah. with all of that in mind, I think there'll be there'll be a lot of conflicting opinions. I think everyone will be sad to see him go, but I think there'll be a lot of people who think right now is the right time. He's achieved what it was he was brought in to achieve, and now we need someone else in to maybe make the next step to becoming a bit more of a solid Premier League side. Yeah, you always want someone like that to to, to leave whilst their sort of legacy is as. Mm. Mm. Um, untarnished as possible uh, i'm looking at the fixtures that you've you've got here for the rest of the season it's, it's, it's not it's not a, a lovely next three games it's not it's not been a, yeah, not been a great last four to, but, but uh, in terms of there's obviously liverpool at anfield there's uh spurs suddenly re- reborn uh, <laughs> um yeah. at home. uh leicester i mean I'm, I'm sure you take leicester tomorrow to be honest at the moment given the free fall that they appear to be in um at the, at, at the moment and villa as well also not particularly to our, and there's the Norwich game after that. I mean, in in terms of, you said there that you, you, I think maybe some fans think, well, actually Leeds are probably a bit too good to get drawn into mm. um, too much of a battle. But I mean, how are you feeling around the rest of the season at the moment, just given recent performances and um, the, the factors you've already mentioned? Yeah, I think that we're definitely going to be fine. Um, mm. I think... The problem is, is that Leeds are such an outlier that it's hard to read them um, in is. terms of predicting yeah. predicting stuff. So, you know, if 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 Leeds were a side who play sort of standard lower table football with with outliers like Rafinha and Rodrigo and in the team, then you may expect us to to sort of be the the favourites to sort of pull out. But the issue isn't that we don't have the good players. The issue is is that our tactics sometimes work well against. Uh, certain sides and then don't against others and so there is a little bit of a there is a little bit of ephemerality about it but I do think that that in terms of where we're at now there are the the question is is it sort of rate of a a rate of change issue we're we're, I think I can't remember what it is now we'd be five points clear of relegation um and a lot of people say well you know it's just two wins for a team below you and they're out of, of, of they're above you or whatever but it it's it's not the way it works in in football. You've got to you've got you've got to think about it in terms of rates of change. So Leeds are getting about a point per game at the moment, which will get them to finish around thirty eight points uh, for the season, obviously. Um, and if you look at the the sort of points totals that the bottom three, mm, well, yeah. let's say Burnley, Watford, and Norwich need to get to that sort of points total, they would need to double their points per game as as they've been going so far through the season. Now there's an outside chance that Burnley could do it now that they've they've turned a corner as well, but there are other clubs involved as well. Obviously Everton, Burnley, um oh, sorry, Brentford and um Newcastle are still down there. So I I think there's the three the three teams at the bottom probably nailed on, but if one of them gets out, you would hope that Leeds would have enough to avoid being the other one because there are other clubs who are candidates as well. So mm. yeah, maybe that's maybe maybe that's not as positive as as the Leeds fans would like us to be, but uh, I do think that we are probably overwhelming favourites to to probably avoid it. Although we, I think after the um, I think after the West Ham game, we were like five percent chance to go down according to 538 and i think we're now back down to 24 percent. so we've really 
fallen off the rails since that uh, fixture and it does show you how quickly like a poor run can sort of start aggregating against you um, but yet, like you said we've got a rough we've got a rough run of games we've got like you say you guys no one looks forward to that um, and then Spurs who you've said are reborn but I mean we, I was we, not joking I'm not, I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure how reborn well, they yeah, are no, of course but even even still like Spurs are, are a tough game we, we, we do cause some problems I think they Conte teams have always been a little bit um uh, a little bit weaker to high pressing teams so if yeah. we can get our press sorted out maybe and um, we were a little bit lucky unlucky last time to not sort of get something out of that game um but then yeah it's, it's teams like Leicester like you mentioned Leicester and Villa and uh, and even Norwich, like Norwich gave us a really good game. We were lucky to beat them in the first leg. Um, those are the games that we've not been getting points in. We've been getting draws in. And you, 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 the, the problem's been that we've we had a horrible run when we were supposed to play you, which was when we had City and and um, Chelsea. and The Arsenal game there, wasn't Arsenal it? Arsenal as well, yeah. And we were supposed to have you bang in the middle of that. Um, and people will say, well, you know, you just take those losses and you move on. But then we just had... A horrible run now with teams that most people thought we would get points from, um, in in Villa and, and and Everton and Newcastle as well. So the problem is is that we have these horrible runs and and we we lose in those games, but we're now going into nice runs and we're not getting points out of those games either. So it's definitely going to be up in the air. But I I just think that there'll be a few games where we'll just even if you just scab a few wins, it doesn't matter at this at this point if we if we get a couple of wins here and there, suddenly we're on you know pushing thirty points and you, you're thinking that the cutoff line for relegation is going to be mid thirties probably. Um, so you're five points off safety with still a good ten points to go. So you. Sorry, ten games to go, and so yeah, I think that we're definitely we're definitely in one of the better positions for most of the relegation candidates. So yeah, and 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 the part, I mean, admittedly, it's the partisan guy in me as well. But uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at Everton's fixtures here. <laughs> it's not <laughs> not looking great. I mean, they're what they're playing City next. And I've already heard fans saying that they hope they throw that game um, just so they so they can help City um, sort of uh, win the title. Um, then they got uh, Tottenham away, and then, then they're playing Wolves, who I think are should beat them to be honest. And then, then there's Newcastle, so it's not, not particularly uh, a fun next couple of games for for Everton. And again, I'm I'm, I'm quite dubious, and uh, that Southampton game's only only furthering my um, agenda, uh, if you will. But um, yeah, I'm 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 yet to be convinced. Let's shall we say? Uh, but uh, in, in terms of the, the the game itself, then I mean. We've spoken about what kind of games Liverpool Leeds games have been um, since uh, since they've been a thing again, and I mean, what sort of approach are you expecting tomorrow? Just the, the similar approach that you've seen against um, teams like teams like Liverpool, and I know Liverpool and City are, are doing sort of you know, like different things than the rest of the league at the moment. Certainly, um, over the past few games, uh, at least. Uh, I mean, I mean, what approach are you? Uh, expecting yeah i think we'll see more of the same i think that this will be a game where um i, I think it will become transitional as we've said mm -hmm. much like the the uh, ellen road fixture um i think it's, it's a funny one i think you know those games suit us in in the sense that we are just designed to be a team that plays transitional football but as i've said when you're playing against a team like liverpool they are going to be able to play transitional football against you better because they've got those technical players in in, in forward areas. And uh, they, obviously the the Ellen Road fixture was what was it three nil? Um, but mm -hmm. you 
you, you took you put up something like four XG and, and Sadio Mane had about four hundred oh, yeah, chances that, that it game. felt like in that in that game. So Sadio's um, existential crisis. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. And it, it feels as though in you know in in games where you're going to get results against the big four in those sorts of games, you need to sort of rely on them missing their chances. And it feels like we did that in the last fixture and you won three nil anyway. So yeah, goodness knows what will happen if that doesn't happen. If if we become sort of if you guys put up four XG on on Wednesday, we'll be conceding eight or nine. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, that, that, it, it's it's hard to know because what 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 do Leeds do? Like we spend a lot of time on our podcast sort of ruminating about how do you stop being battered by big sides when <laughs> there's not a huge amount of scope to do anything other than just accept you're getting battered. Yeah, it's it's yeah, and I, I, I think. Often, often on these podcasts, um, I mean, I, I come away from them and I've, 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 I've tried to convince whoever's come on that it's not going to be, it's not going to be a tough game or whatever. <laughs> but I feel like actually the way in which Liverpool are playing at the moment and touch with the players who are fit. I mean, my, my personal view has basically been if, if, if Liverpool keep Fabinho and, uh, uh, Tiago fit for the rest effort for every single game uh, for the remainder of the season. Uh, they they can win anything they want really. Um, if yeah, that's, that's 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 a big if, but I think that's the foundation to be honest. As there's some other foundations in there, but th- th- those two are vital. I think so. Yeah, they, they they're kind of they're kind of depressing at the moment um, when they're when they're playing together. Their their record is is very good. I think someone was was trying to make Fab. Uh, Fabiago thing. I don't think they're going to have much luck with, <laughs> with, with that, to be honest. But, um, anyway, John, as, as, as always, thank you for a, a ton of insight into Leeds, um, into what's not been that fun a season at times, been, been quite an attritional season and lots of the fun things that you, you, you did enjoy last season. I, um, from what you were saying there, I've obviously not been, not been as present this time round, but, um, it, it does sound as though that there's going to be an interesting sort of, reset um maybe in the works soon um and m- maybe some of those lists that you were creating for for players are going to become relevant again to be honest because uh there might not be somebody who's as as, as picky when it comes to um people coming through the door so um thank you again for for, for all your insight oh, thanks for having me on it was it was fun to, to chat and hopefully uh yeah we'll have a, a game which doesn't have a, a brutal injury this time around yes that that would be yeah that'd be nice absolutely no injuries whatsoever would be would, would be very welcome i think i think Firmino and jota are already uh dented out oh look at the size of the squad <laughs> they just disappeared <laughs> again um just before um i, I sort of do wrap ups was there anything, anything that you wanted to, to plug on your end in terms of sort of any previews for the game from a lease perspective or yeah, we just put out a preview actually today on our free to air podcast show. So sure. if you search for all stats on we on your podcast aggregator, it should come up. It's only, it's half, it's the second half of the podcast. The first half is our review of the Manchester United game. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you don't want to listen to that, just skip forward midway through. And we usually have an interview with someone, but because of this, this, yes, this is a rescheduled one. We've, yeah, we, we, we spoke to John O'Sullivan. Um, and oh, John, that, yeah. it did, it did go out on, uh, in, in an interview. Well, it went out over Christmas because we had it done ahead of time to sort of get get the Christmas schedule out of the way but mm-hmm. obviously the game ended up not being played so you can go back and listen to what John said if you search through our feed as well that's on our, on our free to air feed as well so absolutely no I definitely encourage the listeners to do that and I think I think the listeners will be familiar with with John Solomon as well he's yeah he's he's, he's certainly uh, one of the wiser heads on Liverpool um online doesn't tend to to lose his head as often i would say so yeah i'll, I'll often have some good chats with him and, and and to those who've been listening to uh to rival recon throughout the season and i know there's a 
a large number of you uh, more recently. Uh, welcome. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, always easier to do these shows when things are going well. Um, and uh, Jürgen's sorted that for us for a few for a few seasons now. So it's been, yes, certainly been a blessing. Um, the games do come thick and fast at, at the moment. Uh, there's, of course, that small matter of the Carabao Cup uh, on the weekend as well to, to take part in. But I'll be back. Um, ahead of uh, the West Ham game. So it'll be a, a chance for some revenge there after West Ham's really impressive performance uh, um, at, at their ground earlier in the season. So there'll be another rival recon ahead of that game on the 5th of March. Uh, but until then, do check out all the, all the other great content on uh, Landfield Index Pro. There's some, some great analysis going on at the moment, certainly into some of the fun stuff like we talked about with uh, uh, yeah, Fabiago, if you're if, if you're you know happy to make that a thing, um, numbers look very good where where those two are concerned. So do check out all the other great content on Anfield Index Pro. But until then, um, yeah, stay tuned for another episode of Rival Recon um, ahead of that game with West Ham. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.